for over 20 years, a championship-winning head coach in football and basketball, CBS College football analyst Carl Reed. Carl, it's a cold world even when it's hot outside, but how we feeling? I'm feeling real good today. We got a lot of big topics to jump into, and we need to get to it. Speaking of the climate of college sports, what's the temperature? Here's what we got on the thermometer today. Michael Ower's family pulled a fast one, got to the bag behind his back. Were they in the wrong? Speaking of Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin spoke up on the state of college football, and he said the game is no longer fun anymore. It's just business, especially when it comes to recruiting players. But wasn't it always? Mizzou's head basketball coach, Dennis Gates, is getting it done in recruiting. Mizzou needed an answer. Might he be the truth? Johnny Manziel recently came out and said that Reggie Bush needs his Heisman back, and this is coming from a guy who didn't lose his. Does Johnny have a point, or is he just talking to protect himself? Speaking of chat, if you want to hear us chat about this as many times as you want to, we got a secret for you. You can get audio versions of every episode of Coach Read Live on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Now let's rock. Former NFL player Michael Lower, who was the focus of 2009 hit film The Blind Side, recently filed a petition to end a conservatorship that, get this, he thought was adoption. Ower says the two weeks gave him legal papers to sign that he believed years ago was to adopt him as their son, but instead was to have rights over his name and his story. He's also never received a dime from the film that was made about him. There's a scene in the film where a lady says to Mrs. Tui, honey, you're changing that boy's life. And she said, no, he's changing mine. And years later, we find out that that's nothing but the truth. Mind you, the kid ended up picking up going to Ole Miss. Is it a coincidence that Sean Tui played his college basketball at Ole Miss? Who knows? Carl, you've been around this game a long time. You've seen how these things play out how they come about. We always talk about what's right and what's wrong with what happens to these kids and the adults are supposed to look out for. But you also understand the business side of it all and what could go down in the shadows. So let me know this. Should Michael Ower be pressing this situation? Well, it's three sides to every story, Trevor. And, and I have mixed emotions on this because we don't know all of the facts yet. So when I look at it, I look at it from this perspective. Michael Orr was in a very dire situation as a young man in high school. And the Tui family did take him in and they provided him with some opportunities that he otherwise would not have received. He got to go to a much better school. He got to be coached by Hugh Freeze, who ended up becoming a very good college coach um, down the road. He got a safe place to stay, to eat, to study. He got academic support. And he definitely got something out of this, too, because he became a first-round pick in the National Football League, and he made millions of dollars. Now, where it gets murky and where it turns into nasty business, right, is did the Tuies, in fact, have him sign a piece of paper that was signing away the rights to his stories? If that detail is true, that's nasty business. Now, he said all- he never received a dime from that movie, Carl. He, that, I'm going to get to that, all right, because that's nasty business too. Now, the thing about it that I'm struggling with the most is that the Tuies are a wealthy family. They already mm-hmm. have millions and millions and millions of dollars. So it's hard. If I'm not mistaken, 
if I'm not mistaken, isn't Sean a college, uh, like a college sports commentator out there? I I don't know what he does. He, was. he he owns several restaurants. He owns KFCs. He owned uh, Taco Bells. He had a lot of big business going on. Very wealthy family. So on the surface, it doesn't seem to me that they would need to take advantage of Michael for money. Also on the surface, though, with the money that Michael made playing in the NFL, it wouldn't seem to me that he would need the money. All right. So you have different people speculating, saying, well, maybe Michael's out of money. And so now he's coming for the money for the movie. But I haven't seen anything that said that he was broke. Several people that I talked to in the city of Memphis said that Michael has some businesses and he seems to be doing quite well. So I don't know what drummed all of this up, but I will say that the game is the game and business is business. He did get something out of it. He didn't get completely screwed over. His life was changed. So I'm interested. It's kind of like with the Tory Lanez and Megan Thee Stallion situation. Some people gave their opinions too soon. We got to get all of the facts in here. I'm I'm following it closely. I want to see everything sitting in front of me, Trevor, because I do believe that he doesn't make it to the NFL if they don't take him in. But if they made two, three hundred million dollars for that movie about his life, he does deserve a piece of the pie, no matter how much money he made. Yeah, because I was about to say, Carl, I mean, like, even if he did make a lot of NFL money, is our excuse for people, like, taking stuff that's supposed to be ours? Like, again, your name, your last name, your first name. Like, people got chips off of that. And, like, first of all, he thought he was signing papers for his adoption. Okay, this is a minor. A minor was true. Well, well, I'm wrong on the same though. page. Let's talk about that piece of it because that's interesting to me. Because the report mm-hmm. says as an 18-year-old, he thought that he was signed. He wasn't a minor at 18. So at 18, why would you even need to sign adoption papers at eight? You're an adult at this point. So that, to me, if he was manipulated to sign papers under the guise that it was adoption papers, then that's, that's very, very troubling. And uh, that's nasty, nasty. Business. Is this the game? The game is the game. There's nothing we can do about the game. It existed before us. It is going to exist after us. It's always going to be around in many different shapes and sizes. But, you know, again, like, he made all that money. He cashed in. For the most part, everybody's happy. So, I mean, I, I got to ask you this then. Like, you know, we're already on the topic of it. Is Michael Orr being too harsh or is he doing the right thing? Now, that's subjective. Right or wrong is not your opinion, but if he feels like he's old money, he's definitely doing the right thing. He's doing it at the expense of a relationship, though, that helped him to get to where he is. But, you know, money talks and BS runs a marathon. So if he feels like he's entitled to a portion of the money, which I feel like he is because it's his story. Now, what the only question I would have is that movie came out in 2009. So from 2009 to 2023 that's a lot of time i want to know the real answer of why we are here today dealing with this and not having dealt with it prior to this well you know i feel like we covered pretty much you know the base of it all but like overall when you bring this every everything together what does this over situation say about sports in our country 
top to bottom. If you're a big time player, you better have your own representation. You better you better be talking to your own people and you better be educating yourself. And the problem is young guys, they put a lot of trust in their coaches. They put a lot of trust in their family. And then they, we see it all the time. We know some guys personally, things get murky. Mm-hmm. You know, money is not always where it's supposed to be, doing what it's supposed to do. And so my advice to players is always the same. Pick your own agents. Pick your own financial advisors. Do your own research. You need to be a huge part of what's going on in your career because it's a whole lot of money on the table. And not just the on-field money. It's a lot of off-the-field money as well. And one thing I can say as a person, like, you know, who was a high-level athlete, you know, like – Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. You know, we got to tell the truth on the high level. (laughs) You were were, were pretty good. You were kind of good. High level, though. That's a reach, Trout. Hey, hey, look, hey, look, hey. Everybody, don't let Carl lie to y'all. That's a that's a he would high level of a reach. Hey, listen, hey, listen, okay, Carl Reed. I know you. We are gonna keep moving with the show now, baby boy. Do I, do I, do I, do I, hey, look, hey, look, man, hey, look. The next do question. Do I need to pull out the basketball footage from my house? Hey, what what they got to do with uh, what was happening? Hey, look, you know what? Hey, all I got is one question. Okay, <laughs> how do star athletes? Because again, you've been around. A lot of pros in basketball, football, even, you know, women's McDonald's All-Americans. How do star athletes get taken advantage so easily? Why I'm asking this is because when you're a young athlete, you don't really know what's going on. All you want to do is play. And you don't want to look at the business side of everything, but especially now, and I hate to say that, but you got to pay attention to it no matter what age you are because if you are a top prospect, there are things that are happening that you don't know about. So what's your best advice for like how you can even handle that, especially in today's class? It's hard to trust people, period, in all walks of life. I think that everybody would have a story about somebody that they thought that they could trust, misleading them, misguiding them, doing something that that they didn't want to do. When you're a young athlete, when, when kids are playing youth sports, we don't know who's going to the NFL. We don't know who's going to the NBA. But suddenly... When that talent starts to take shape, it turns from fun to business. And so what athletes have to do and what their loved ones have to do is you have to make sure that you're handling the business side of the sport because there is a business. And everybody's not equipped to deal with that. Money makes people do very strange things. I got a good friend of mine who always will say, this game can turn good dudes into bad people. So when you got millions and millions of dollars at stake, a lot of stuff can happen. I think the major thing that I've always told athletes is know what's going on with your own business and talk to other pros. When you get really good, those pros are available to have those conversations with you. So there's some guidance available to you there if you're willing to listen. That's a great Drake said. Trust who? Some guys, man, they even even realize they're getting duped till they turn 25, 30 years old, man. And they That's might be reality. ten. They might they be might. ten million down by then. Mm-hmm. So I mean, look, and obviously, like we can tell the truth here. There's no real way to stop it, and there's no way to really protect any young players from these things that happen. How can we, 
you know, as the good guys, which most of us think we are, do a better job protecting these young amateur athletes in situations like these? I don't think you can unless you're directly involved in the situation. You can give guidance, but an athlete, when he's at the height of his powers, when he's got a million followers on social media, when everybody's offering him money, when he has the different shoe companies, when all the agents are chasing him, they can be really hard in that moment to give advice to because they think they haven't figured out and their circle thinks they haven't figured out. Typically, they won't listen to you until something bad happens. Then they're looking at you. Mm -hmm. Then it's usually too late in a lot of cases. It's either that or they trying to make you the bad guy because you told them the truth and they don't want, they're not able to look you in your face and be like, hey, man, you knew what you were talking about. I tell That's them all the same thing, man. I'm going to be praying for you, dog, and I hope you make it. The game is the game. Lots of casualties. And check this out before we transition. Before Hugh Freeze, again, as you guys all know, before he was a high major football coach, he was Owers high school football coach. 20 days. You remember this, Carl. 20 days after Orr's sign with Ole Miss, Hugh Freeze was hired by the program, and eventually down the line, that became his head coaching place, his big head coaching job, the big break. I was at the Hugh Freeze Ole Miss Rebels football camp when I was in high school. A lot of things have changed at Ole Miss since then, especially the culture. And, you know, if you were around during that time, let's just say – Old Miss was popping. They would it would have been a special place for NIL back during that time. Old Miss head football coach Lane Kiffin gave his thoughts about the current state of college football. He said the game isn't what it once was. Here's what he had to say. You were at the podium a little while ago, media day, and you Twitter's going a little crazy about some of the things you had to say about the state of college football. Not like I'm the president, given the state of the union. Like I'm the right. you know <laughs> president of. NIL, NIL and portal problems, but um, like I do that because you guys tell me like afterwards when I kind of do those state of union like how appreciative you are or like I see fans or players, um, parents or recruits and they're like, wow, thank you. We didn't really know that's what's really happening because no other coach talks like that. One good part about it being broken as I said up there too is the players and I've told them it is a great time for them to capitalize on this and like I said up there you really you can capitalize three times you could capitalize coming out of high school you can capitalize on your one-time transfer basically getting new contract somewhere and then as a grad transfer so it's really good for them but it's really a bad system of trying to manage things how has all of this demanded of you to evolve I think kind of accepting that you're going to not have phenomenal culture. doesn't mean I don't work on it, but I think I have to realize, like, hey, it just is what it is. You know, like, one, we don't have many kids that are dying to be here. Like, they didn't grow up wanting to go to Ole Miss. Like, these transfer kids are, like, they're going to a place that fits in the best of that time. It's not about the school. And you don't really, and you didn't have them, they're not on their third, fourth, fifth year with you to where like, hey, they know how we do it. They know the expectations, the, the culture, the other players. Unfortunately, now it's like plug and play. When they used to ask me like, okay, coaching in the NFL, coaching in college, what do you like? And I was like, I really like the college because it's like the players care so much about where they're at in college. 
lot of that locker room, like that's where they wanted to play for when they grew up, and the passion of the fan base and everything. And I, you say, in the NFL, it's business. So um, it just makes for a very different dynamic. And we're now moved towards that, to where it is really business. And I would say the joy is not not the same. Now, Carl, did Lane Kiffin tell the truth about the state of college football? He he told the truth from his opinion, and I got a chance to sit down with Lane, you know, last year when all the NIL stuff first kicked off, and we did an interview, and he talked about it. It's the money. It's the transfer portal. Call it the college football he grew up playing and grew up coaching is a lot different than what it is, but you better adjust to it because it's here to stay. We got NIL. We have transfer portal. We have all of these things. And he stresses something, and, and I think that he looked at it from the right space. A kid really can get paid three times. You can come out of high school and get paid. You can transfer once and get paid again. And after you graduate, you can transfer another time, and you can get paid again. So you really got three bites at the apple if you do it right, and that is different. Is it bad or is it good when people say, you know, it's ruining the game? It's not the game that we grew up watching. It's not the game that we grew up coaching and playing. It is different. But college football ratings right now are as high as they've ever been. And the only thing that's really changed is that the players have some relief. The players get a piece of the pie. And a lot of coaches seem to be having an issue with that. So, you know, they better adjust to it or they're going to get left behind in the game. Before we move on to the next question, like I got to say, like, shout out Lane Kiffin because he is talking about this topic and he's telling the truth, but he's also giving his perspective as a guy who, you know, I feel like he was ahead on NIL. He was ahead with the transfer portal. He didn't look at it as a deterrent. He was like, the okay, this is where the game is at. Let's rock. And, you know, he still recruits great high school football players. He still gets good guys in the portal. You know, like, he still does a good job. So I got to ask this, and it's not even a college football question. Just when you look overall at college sports, period, I'm talking high major on down, but really the high major level, really the high major level, because that's truly the big business part that he's talking about. You know, you see a lot of transfer portal stuff in basketball. You'll have guys, I know you won't believe me, Carl. I don't want to argue about it, but there's guys who low point guard market in college basketball, he can make $450,000 a year. This is, okay, oh, all right, Carl Reed, hey, that's cool. Look, I'm telling you, these are the things that happen in the space of college sports now. Has the culture of college sports changed? I'm talking about in terms of winning, guys caring and growing up about, you know, I want to go play for this school, play for this team. I want to stay here, build with these guys. Lane Kiffin was like, that's pretty much done. This is all plug and play now. It's definitely done. I, I was talking to a really close friend of mine last night that's a head college coach at, at a Division One program. And imagine being a coach who you grew up as an assistant in a program that preached culture, culture, culture. Well, that's not the case anymore. You can't worry about the culture as much because guys are you plugging and playing. Guys are in, guys are out. You're not going to have a team where it's a bunch of state pride or local pride. Or pride. You're going to have guys coming in, playing, leaving. You're going to have guys coming in, not playing, leaving. So you got to manage the team. You can't worry about the locker room as much as you used to. You have to adjust it. 
this is kind of what I call the old AAU, not the new AAU that the young guys know today, but, you know, my era AAU when it wasn't border state rules and it wasn't some of the restrictions that you have today on some of the circuits where guys would come in from all over the country, practice one day, play a weekend, and then they go their separate ways. You have to have a mentality like that that you can adjust to. You're not going to get an opportunity to coach a guy for four years, five years, and watch him develop. You got to win the day. You got to flip the roster today, and that's the only way you're going to be successful in this day and age. And, you know, it's a great way to look at it because, you know, some people are like, oh, man, the culture's gone. All these things are gone. But if you're a player, this is great for the players. So it's all about perspective. For the players, it's like, wait, like you said, I can get paid three times. College coaches are like, I can recruit these three, four guys, and I can't keep them. At the same time, and we've always talked about this, if I'm a college coach, I have the freedom to go wherever I, I've always had that. So is it really just an evening of the playing field for both parties? Well, it just depends on how good of a player you are. You got some guys that are getting massive amounts of money. I can remember when you were coming out of high school with the group of guys you came out with, the negotiations probably would have started with $10 and a free drink gift certificate. I don't know how much money you guys would have made in this market. You know what I mean? Maybe they would have given you, <laughs> maybe they'd have gave you a coloring book, right, and a, and a tic-tac-toe board or something like that. You know so, it just depends, man. But it is some guys that are that are cashing out. But the players got to be able to understand that all of them don't have NIL value. And I don't think the players as a whole are really taking advantage of what the system could be for them. Some of them are looking at it completely wrong. You go back to the coaches. Because, I mean, I feel like it's always, you know, we always talk about the players a lot and what the players are doing, and, you know, this player is complaining, and, you know, they're not locked into all these other things, all these other distractions. As Nick Nick Saban says, what, uh, uh, rat poison? Yeah. Are coaches doing too much complaining about the state of today's game, or is it all justified? You know, I don't know if I would call it complaining. I don't feel sorry for I don't feel sorry for anybody that's making $30, $40, 50000000 million a year, you know, to coach a game. You win, you get paid, you lose, they pay you to leave. You know, so I do think that it's an adjustment because it used to be a different way. But even some of the guys that are speaking out against it, they're still taking advantage of the opportunities to get transfers. They still are pushing their collectives to pay money. So they might be complaining, but they still working to get it done. Mm-hmm, absolutely. How would you describe the new era of college football? Like, if you could just put it in your own definition. I love it. You know, I I love the players being able to get paid. I love the players to be able to take advantage of their market value and uh, of other things. People don't realize that NIL is deeper than just the collectives. It's deeper than just the marketing deals. Guys couldn't be – they couldn't make money off of YouTube. There was an era where you couldn't be on scholarship and work a job, right? So think about, um, was it Jeremy Bloom who was an Olympic skier but couldn't take money as an Olympian and also play football at the University of Colorado many years ago? There was the, the kicker that got kicked out of the college football 
because he couldn't uh, monetize his YouTube page. So with social media influencing, with the different things, if, if guys are looking at being social media influencers, whatever they're looking at, those things are their form, and you should be able to get paid because we live in America. We had a situation where I was at USC. There was a girl that played lacrosse, and she was a great content creator, had a great cracking YouTube. Her name was Katie DeFeo, and she had to walk away because she's running her YouTube account, and it, I guess there was a conflict of interest that happened. I don't know what ended up happening, but, you know, that happened. She didn't play a lot, but she was like, well, this is my passion. This is what I like to do. I'm not going to go pro lacrosse. Bump this. I'm good. <laughs> Let me just finish my degree. Now, you don't got to do that anymore. You can keep doing that thing. You can potentially get a marketing deal. Matter of fact, you know, women in NIL, they're making the most money. And you got the person who Libby Dunn at LSU. You got Angel Reese at LSU. You got uh, Haley Van Lip, who's killing, making a lot of money, sponsored by Adidas. I mean, these are just the things that just weren't possible just three years did ago. You for, did you I'm forget to mention Flaw J? You forgot to talk about Flaw J? Flaje has a, a, real songs and it's performed for people for money. Like it's different. Even he was funny before we uh, move on. It's amazing to me. And tell me if you notice this too. Have you noticed how many college athletes at the high major levels are traveling this summer? Hey, they like they're everywhere. They outside. They're everywhere. <laughs> they're, everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere, Carl. They're everywhere, Carl. Every- I walk around, I see them here. I'm like, hey, and then I'm thinking, I'm like this. I'm like. Are you supposed to, y'all supposed to be at school working out? Are y'all hey. supposed to be getting some shots up? Hey, it's they, hey, but hey, that's not my business. They in Cancun, they in Jamaica, they everywhere. When I was in college, we went to Daytona for spring break, and we ran out of money, you know, and, and it was hard to get back home. You know, they not they not living that life anymore. They can go anywhere they want to go when they feel like it. They're going to Chile, Peru, guys going to Europe. Hey. People from Tallahassee, Tallahassee, Florida, visiting Europe, Carl. Yeah. Europe on a non-basketball trip. Where is this money coming from, man? Hey, that's none of my business, though. Let's move it on. <laughs> Let's move it on. But it also brings another question. Lane Kiffin, a guy who's been killing it in the NIL era, embraced everything, you know, from social media to the young kids to the plug-and-play. Hey, look, I'm going to give you the ball. We got two backs that are really good NFL guys. Why are some coaches struggling with the new era of college sports? Because they don't have control of the player anymore. The player has control of the situation. There was a day where whatever your coach said, you just had to go for it. You had to do it. Your parents were probably going to make you do it. But now you don't have to get a parent permission to go on the portal. If you don't like the way your coach talks to you, if you don't like the way how much money you're making, if you don't like the way you're being used in the system, you can just leave. You don't have to have a meeting. You don't have to get anything signed off on. So that puts the coach in a situation that makes him extremely uncomfortable. And even though many are struggling in this new era of college sports, we're trying to get recruits because of either NIL or, you know, just trying to keep their guys, their dudes from hitting the portal to go to another school, whether it be a lower level or higher level, and get what they need elsewhere. There's one guy in college basketball who's found a way to get it done and has been getting it done since the day he stepped through the door. 
Mizzou's head basketball coach, Dennis Gates, got Mizzou in the top 25 of his first season. If I'm not mistaken, on the AP, they were ranked 23 in the country to end the year. They were 25-7 and seven last basketball season. And they were 11-7 and seven in SEC play. He got guys in the portal that many across the country either wanted or was an old player that was an afterthought that helped turn the program around immediately. And he currently has three to four, three, four star commitments in the 2024 class, which is the third best right now in the entire country, according to 247 Sports. Carl, does Dennis Gates need more flowers about what he's doing at Mizzou? Dennis Gates is a real problem. And I can remember when he got hired at the University of Missouri, it was a couple of my guys from Ohio where he was coming from Cleveland State that said, Dennis Gates is a problem. And so he went into the University of Missouri, had a really strong first year. Now, what happens a lot of times, Trout, with black coaches, what do we always shine a light on? The recruiting. You just said it. He's got three four-star commitments. He's been able to recruit. There's a legendary coach in Europe that is known as an offensive genius. His name is Alex Sarema. You probably don't know nothing about Alex, but he's a guy that is well studied by Division I college basketball coaches, and most of them say that Dennis Gates is very identical to him in the way he sees offense and the way he's able to use his players. Dennis Gates is getting a lot of flowers from his colleagues for being a master technician in how he runs offensive basketball, which is something that you don't hear a lot when you're talking about black coaches that are successful. You hear a lot about them being great recruiters. You hear a lot about them being great motivators. He's one of the first guys that I've ever seen that is getting real flowers from the basketball community for really being able to coach the game at a high level, especially on the offensive end. How did he turn Mizzou around so quickly? I think that you have to look at where they were struggling at before. They were they were struggling with moving the ball, and they were struggling with the way they were playing offense. He immediately brought some discipline to it. I mean, everybody knows kind of he was holding Isaiah Mosley out, you know, for different things. He got control of the locker room right away. But he came in with a great offensive system. He came in with a game plan. He addressed some things recruiting-wise, and he was really able to take off. And what makes Dennis Gates, and it's not just about high school, because we all, again, he has a top five class in the country right now. Got Toe Barrett, used to play for Mocan, really good basketball player. Marcus Allen, a hell of a basketball player. Paid Marshall, great center prospect. All three kids I've seen, you know, I watch a little high school basketball. In the transfer portal, to getting guys, either were people they don't want them or a guy that people covet, as well as high school basketball recruiting. What makes Dennis Gates so good in recruiting? Like, what makes him so strong? How does he do it? How does he get it done? Like, what is the recipe? Well, number one, he came up under Leonard Hamilton at Florida State. Leonard Hamilton is one of the legendary recruiters in the game. I'm, I'm familiar. Leonard Hamilton was an Austin P guy, recruited the great Fly Williams to Austin P. So they have a relationship with guys. They have great relationships, being very real and honest. And guys want to play in the pros. And he's shown over the years that he can play, that you can play in the pros if you play for him, that you've got a pro game, you're getting taught a pro offensive game, and you're getting a guy that has strong relationships that people think from a character standpoint 
He tells the truth and is very honest in how he handles the kids and families. You know, that's a recipe for outstanding recruiting. What do you expect for the future of Mizzou basketball with Nancy Gates at the helm? You know, there's been some great, great basketball coaches at the University of Missouri. You know, I remember when Frank Haith was there when I was young. I forgot uh, Kim hey. Anderson there was kind of weird. Hey, you, this, yeah. you, you say this great. You throw the word great out a lot. And I just wanna, I just wanna slow you. I down. think Frank, hold on, Frank Hayes won a lot. Wait a second, hold I on, just man. Slow you down on, you know, on how you use the word "great." You described yourself as great earlier, and that's we'll talk about that offline. I'm not gonna waste the show, <laughs> you know. But you just throw that word around, and you know, nobody's and, good, Carl. Okay, no, no, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> good. No disrespect to the other coaches at the University of Missouri, but no Final Fours, right? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, so, I mean, we got some some pretty good guys, some guys that are pretty good, but I don't know about great. But I do think that Dennis Gates is going to have Missouri competing year in and year out for conference championships and deep NCAA tournament runs. It's really, really hard to make it to the Final Four. It's really, really hard to win a national championship. So only time will tell if stuff like that happens. Well, you know, a lot of people say, and this is not my opinion, but they'll be like, man, it's hard to get guys to Mizzou. Like, it's hard to win at Mizzou. Like, kids want to come there, you know, all these other things. At the same time, you know, we're talking about coaches in the past, you know, where are the final fours? You know, where are the elite? Like, where's all the winning? Where's all the winning for Mizzou basketball? Now, here's the thing, though. It takes players. As you know, this, it takes players, support, buying into the coach, time. So what can the University of Missouri, because I think they got their coach, just me personally, what can the University of Missouri do to further support Dennis Gates? Give him whatever he asked for. You know, whether that's more money for his assistants, whether that's, you know, recruiting and support personnel, NIL support. Whatever he needs, just continue to give it to him because he's showing right now that you have results. Missouri has some attractive things on campus. I know when you were a recruit, you spurned the hometown and didn't go to the University of Missouri. And there's a football hey, coach man, out here loud, that was on the staff when you played that he said to me that if he ever sees you anywhere, it's like that. And you know what that means. Okay. It's like he said hey, if he see you. It's like that. Hey, look, first of all, folks can just stand on that on their own. They ain't got nothing to do with me. All I know is that life is good and life is great and everybody's still getting money. And if I'm not if I'm not confused or I'm not, you know, mistaken, that man's still working. And I'm still working too. <laughs> so we're good. <laughs> so we're good, okay? But while we're on the topic, you know, turning things around and programs and all these things. Heisman winner and former star, Texas A&M quarterback, Johnny Menzel responded to former NFL player and locked on 49ers host, my guy actually, Eric Crocker, who said this on Twitter. I'm watching Johnny Menzel untold. I'm confused by something. Menzel is on Netflix with his best friend talking about all the illegal stuff they were doing. What's the difference between the stuff he's doing and keeping his Heisman and Reggie Bush getting stripped of his? This is what Johnny Mazzell said. There's nothing I want to see more than for Reggie to get his Heisman back. 
I think what the NCAA did in that situation is complete bullshit. This is he, his words, not mine. He is one of the best college football players in history and deserves to be on that stage with us every year. The only difference between my story and Reggie's is that my illegal activities did not start until after my Heisman season. Carl, you're a stickler for the rules. I know this. And you always say life ain't fair. But many agree Reggie should get his Heisman back. And here you have a guy like Johnny Mazzell, who did some similar things in college, who's coming out and calling out the unfairness. And we know Johnny isn't giving his Heisman back. Does Reggie Bush deserve his Heisman? Reggie Bush deserves his Heisman trophy. The difference is Johnny Manziel directly violated rules. Reggie Bush's parents are the ones who violated the rules. Reggie Bush got got punished for something that his parents did. That for all intents and purposes, a lot of people believe that he didn't even know about till well after the fact. Now, when the thing happened with Reggie, I think that one of the things that that made his situation even bigger than Johnny Manziel's is how much USC won during that era. Two national championships, a play away from winning three in a row. They had dominated college football at such a hot, hot length that it wasn't just about Reggie. It was also about Pete Carroll, right? It was also about Matt Leiner. It was, also, it was about that whole brand that the USC Trojans had built during that. That era is why you wanted to go to USC because of how cool that that era looked. Johnny Manziel didn't win at Texas A&M. It was a great story. It was cool. You got the one Alabama upset, but he didn't win the SEC. He did not win a national championship. I don't even think they played in the playoffs during his career. So his thing kind of went under the radar a little bit because it didn't affect college football as a whole. But USC was so dominant during that run. It seemed unfair to everybody that they beat. And Reggie got singled out because of that. But with the era of college football we're in now with the NIL, which you seeing on Netflix what Manziel did and how freely he talked about what they did, it's time for them to revisit this conversation and bring Reggie Bush back into the Heisman fold and give him his trophy back. Now, you know, that aside, I got to ask this too, because again, the tweet was like, how did Manziel keep his Heisman? The Reggie Moss is. I also want to make a note. And Johnny Manziel also made this note. He said, I didn't start doing illegal activity until after his Heisman. Like, he almost said that as if, you know, he was afraid someone was going to come to his house, kick the door down, and be like, hey, we saw this documentary. We need your heavy, we need your heavy, uh, your heavy Heisman back, right? I got to say, with that statement, was Johnny just protecting himself? Like, <laughs> well, you know, we don't know when he did it. We weren't there. You know, he could be telling the truth. He seemed to, to be very honest. He talked about all his shortcomings in that video or in the in the documentary. So I don't know whether he was protecting himself or not or not. I do know that they need to give Reggie Bush's trophy back. Now, I got to say, we're near the end of the show. I got a little creative when I was writing this week, though. I think about how Reggie lost his Heisman, you know, Manziel keeping his. Both of them committed some illegal action. Well, as you said again, more so as parents. Regardless, illegal things were going on between these players, whether it be player or camp. But let's be real. 
there are these. This isn't the first situation. It's not going to be the last situation. But between both of these players, when you take the resumes, accomplishments, body of work, what they did for their teams, and what they did on the grass every Saturday, if the Heisman race came between two guys, and it was both these players, and you put everything together. I was just wondering, who would you pick? I would go with Reggie Bush because of the national championship. Winning is going to be the deciding factor for me. I believe that I believe winning matters. I know you young guys think it's all about the money. It's all about how many Instagram followers you get. It's all about how many girls like your posts. But Trout, it's about winning. Winning matters. Reggie Bush was a big-time winner at USC, and that's the deciding factor for me on the Heisman Trophy. Are you a fan of uh, Floyd Mayweather? I'm definitely a fan of Floyd Mayweather. Do you know what Floyd said one time? What did he say? He said, your kids can't eat legacy. Floyd is also 50. Your kids can't eat legacy. He's also 50 and up. What did he say? He's 50 and up. What did he say, Carl? He said he's, what the, did be, he say, he's the best ever. Your kids can't eat what? <laughs> Your kids can't eat what? Time out. Because once he saw the streak, okay, he was like, I don't care about doing big fights. My legacy is 50 and oh. Your kids can't eat what? Hey, again, this is a guy who is undefeated. This means he never lost a fight. And do you know what he said, Carl? Hey, time out. What's the name of his company? The what team? The money team. Huh? The money team. Hard work. Dedication. Hard work. He said it's all about the money, Carl Reed. I want you to think about that. I want you to sit on that. (laughs) Guys, this has been a blast. I hope you all enjoyed the show. We will be back next week, and we got a lot more coming down the pipeline. You never know who might who you might see, what we're going to talk about. Guys, I'm Trevor Trout. This is Carl Reed. This is Coach Reed Live, and we'll see you soon.